0: So, hey, we are again. Yeah. Hi!
1: Once again, we are live at Dragonsteel 2022,
0: and we're going to do a Q&A episode. Q&A episode with a guest star coming somewhere in the middle, so be excited by that. And we're just going to open this one to the questions from the wonderful people who have lined up to ask them of us. So go right
2: ahead. Thank you. One of the things that I love in literature the most is when there's a big reveal and you can see that all of the clues were already given
1: and that you get the enjoyment of the reveal itself, but
2: also the knowledge that you could have figured it out, but you didn't. (laughs) And so you get to enjoy that too. And you did that beautifully at the end of Mistborn Era One. And I just my question was, how do you put together such a detailed, complex puzzle across Books that you haven't even written yet.
0: Yes. How do you do this? Uh, you do it backwards. You do it backwards. Dan's got it right. Build your outline so you know what you want to have happen and then figure out what you want to achieve along the way. It really involves lots of good red herrings. Like, red herrings are really what makes this work. And being in touch with your audience knowing what your audience is going to expect and then playing off of that is how you make those red herrings work. And so knowing if you've got an audience that's brand new to storytelling or maybe if your audience generally is pretty experienced with storytelling is going to change how you build those red herrings and things like that.
1: Yeah, I call this the Michael Moorcock method. He wrote Elric of Melnabone. Actually, J.K. Rowling did Harry Potter exactly the same way. The basic trick is you fill your book with as many compelling weird ideas as possible and then three books down the line, when you need something to relate to an earlier idea and look planned, you can just pull out like, chocolate frogs! Guess what? That was the secret the whole time. I put it in the first book and you didn't notice. And it's, it's just a neat little trick that you can do. Within a single book, those big reveals of like, oh, all the clues were right in front of me, those are usually written after the fact. I get to this reveal, and then during revision, I go back and I add clues in to make sure that I'm doing it properly.
0: Yeah, and I tend to actually build entire books and series around a cool reveal I've come up with ahead of time, right? Like the reveal is part of what propels me to write the book.
1: Yeah, like the reveal that the person coming out of the coffin is a werefrog, which makes (laughs) perfect sense because all the clues pointed clearly to vampire. Anyway, thank you for your question. Thank you.
2: I just want to say that I love your guys' novels, and they helped save my life one time, so it's fantastic. And for my question, I would like to ask, what do you guys think about speed reading to gain information that you can reference back to in your novels? So speed
0: reading, I have only had one experience with speed reading. I took a class on it. I thought it was really handy, but some of the things it was teaching me to do in order to get this information was to ignore some of the parts of storytelling that I really enjoy. And so while I find it a really cool tool, for instance, doing research, the artist inside of me cringes at the idea.
1: Yeah, I learned on an app, and I can't remember the name of the app, and it's very effective. You lose all the beauty of language, or at least I do. Maybe you're all speed readers and, and you don't do it. So for research and study, I find it useful, but if I'm reading fiction... I need to just do it normally because I don't want to lose the poetry of it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, hit us. What's your favorite non role playing board game other than Magic the Gathering? Hmm, non oh, role
1: playing. Non role playing. What do we mean by non role playing? Well, I mean, obviously, like, non paper. Like, can I say Battlestar Galactica? Because it's not a role-playing
0: game, but you do have a character that you're playing Yeah, I think if you bring your own character sheet, it's a role-playing game. If you get assigned a character as one of these cards, that's not a role-playing game. Okay, Battlestar Galactica is
1: incredible. Last Night on Earth by Flying Frog Games is incredible. I have so many that I love dearly. Those are probably the top two. Right now, it's Wingspan is my favorite one. (laughs) Yeah! Yeah, big ups for Wingspan. The reason that Last Night on Earth is cool is because all of the art for the game, it's a zombie game, and all of the art, instead of just commissioning illustrations, they got actors and put them in costumes and makeup and took photos. And so it looks as if it is based on a really bad 80s zombie movie. Uh, And it's just wonderful.
0: Let's see, I can't choose Magic Dominion, because it's basically magic for people who don't play magic. Awesome. Dominion. Dominion. Mm-hmm. Also, do we get signed intentionally blank cards? You know what? We didn't end up with them this time. Sorry. You can complain to the publicity team about that. This I think panel they is were... left intentionally devoid of intentionally blank cards. <laughs> so, not this time. That's actually on me because I didn't tell them, hey, we should do this. We probably should have done that. So, yeah. another time. Thank yeah. you. So, I look in your books, and I see all these brilliant and creative ideas, and I guess what I'm leading up to is, where do you get all your inspiration for these ideas? Where do you get your inspiration? So, for me, this comes from everywhere, right? Like, as you become a novelist and a storyteller, you will start just grabbing ideas as you see them. Things will occur to you. Like, for instance, you know, I had the bad story idea last time, right? That just came <laughs> because um, my mom has really started to get into some true crime podcasts. Oh my uh, gosh, it's Ben! Oh no, so surprising. So utterly surprising. Let us finish this question. This one, hey, so yeah. right.
1: for me, keep on, keep on. inspiration, ideas for stories, it is less about a source and it is more about a skill that you learn. Once you kind of practice taking ideas and developing story concepts around them, stories are just going to be everywhere around you. You're going to find them constantly. That said, it helps a lot the more you consume the world. The more you read books, the more you watch good media, the more you read like science articles, you know, whatever it is out there, the more you are bringing in, the easier it is to chew that up and spit it back out as a story idea. All
0: right. Thank you. All right. Why, Ben. Hey, Ben. How frightened should we be that you're here? I see that you are
1: ominously holding a package. Yes. If it's mealworms, I'm going to be upset because I looked everywhere.
2: (laughs) I'm going to write that down. (laughs) uh, You guys, you you don't even know. I had such plans amazing, humiliating plans to get back to you for the Hot Ones episode. This is
1: Hot Ones Revenge. Hot okay. Ones Revenge.
2: But for various boring reasons, those did not work out. Okay. So, instead, I have some stuff for you guys to sign. All I could really think of was something childish and petty. So Okay. Oh. Childish,
1: that's, petty things for us to sign. Yeah. Petty that's, things, okay. That's all I've got. If you pull out the deed to my house... <laughs> I will sign it just cuz that's amazing.
2: <laughs> I, no. Anyway, I don't want to hold up the Q&A though. Like people came to talk to you guys. So okay. please please do go ahead.
0: Okay. So we'll we'll do the first question and then have a reveal of something we have to do. No, Is that
2: You guys do the Q&A and the sign you guys like sign stuff when you do stuff. Okay. okay. So we're just going
1: so to sign, sign while we're talking. Okay. 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 This okay. was the part where we seeded the clues to the big reveal. And then the big reveal's coming later. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay, go ahead.
1: Howdy. Dan's been at Dragonsteel now for several weeks. How is that going? What is it like, Dan? What is it like to have Dan working with you, Brandon? Okay, so first of all, it's been awesome. I've known Brandon forever, and most of his staff, at least the executive level, are also all friends of mine from college. We're a very insular group. The weirdest thing for me, the biggest adjustment has been that I haven't had co-workers for 15 years. And so I work at home, actually, of all the children I have still living at home, because the two oldest have moved out, none of them remember a time before I was a full-time author. And so they're very well trained to not come into my office. And then I go to work at his office and people just come in all the time or I'll hear them out like talking and I'll think, I want a drink, but I'll wait till there's not people there. And then I have to remember, oh no, this is my job now. I'm supposed to interact with other human beings. (laughs) And so it's not bad. It's just different than I'm accustomed to.
0: So far for me, it's been great. I get to have more of my friends around that I get to hang out with and things like that. It is interesting. I made that same transition that Dan did, but over a long period of time, right? Like when I was just writing in my house with just Emily, we did that for a few years, but I hired Peter in 2007 or eight or something like that. And then I already had somebody that I needed to kind of be doing regular meetings with and things like that. And over time, that's, you know, become part of my job is going and having these regular meetings and things like that. So... It does get me out of the, the room. I would say out of the house, but I just go to the house, so other parts of the house. But at least two days a week, I'm actually interacting with people. And Dan is a lot of fun to hang out with. So. It's really nice to have a crazy idea
1: and then have an actual business meeting on the calendar to say, hey, Brandon, I want to do this stupid, ridiculous thing. And he's like, OK, let's do it. Yep. It's awesome.
0: Yep. You're going you're gonna to get one of those crazy ideas in the coming years.
1: I believe you are to sign. I believe are we I'm both supposed to these. Oh, yeah, both.
0: Oh, we're both signing okay. these. Okay. Am I supposed to show these to the room or not, Ben? Like, what are these even going to be used yes. for? Yes. Can I? Can are you sh- just gonna, supposed like, to frame there. them in your house? Oh, okay, okay. 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 So I'm not okay. showing them the room yet. Okay. That'll okay. be right there. You can. Sh- I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, well. Thank you for your question. Yes. Thank you. There's this somewhat attractive man who's been made more attractive by the addition of facial hair that (laughs) Ben has done that is using a very, very smart quote by this person that says, technically speaking, I'm a professional liar. And that has now been signed for you. This art piece is in the medium of uh, Sharpie and photograph. Yes, yes. Sharpie on photograph.
1: And will be available for auction later on. Next question.
2: Hey, y'all, love the podcast. Brandon, would you ever consider releasing the grimdark version of Mistborn as a prime novel?
0: Yeah, yeah, I will release it as a prime novel. I'll do that and Final Empire because they're both cohesive stories, right? The one I can't release is Mythwalker because it ends part of the way through. The ideas are half-baked. The magic system in Mythwalker is just broken beyond all my ability to fix. But most of the other ones I plan to eventually get to Dragonsteel Prime, Aether of Night, Final Empire, and Mistborn Prime in some incarnation. The others get harder because they just get worse and worse after that and things like that. But those ones are of interest to Cosmere fans. You know, the first in Aether of Night, which, you know, there's digital versions, but there's not a print version you can read. You know, the first showing up of a shard, Midnight Essence, and all sorts of cool stuff's in there. You know, Dragonsteel takes place on Yolen, which is still canonically part of the Cosmere. And you see Shodell popping up, which are a race that are in Dragonsteel Prime. And then Final Empire and uh, Mistborn. There's not as much of real cool interest to you because I already took the best ideas and reused them, but I'll get it out there someday. Cool, thanks.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for your question. Here is this picture of me with an eye patch and a neck tattoo. It's completely undoctored. (laughs) And again, I don't know what these are for, but I'm going to sign right here on my wrist. There you go. Uh,
0: Who is this man who has such a full head of hair?
1: Such a don't know.
2: Definitely no idea. Yes. So as someone with OCD, I really appreciate the focus on mental health in the Stormlight Archive. When you talk about heart issues that are real for some of your readers, what does that look like from a writing perspective? How do you research it? How do you make sure it lands well? Like, like what does that look like?
0: Yeah, it really depends on the specific thing we're talking about, because some things that people struggle with, I feel like I have a pretty good handle on. This is because either, you know, I have spent time researching it already, or I have a family member often, or, you know, it is something that I have felt at times. Other things, I'm well outside my wheelhouse, and I approach those two very differently. The ones where I'm outside my wheelhouse, we are looking for some paid early readers who are experts in the field. Usually primary accounts, so people who are struggling with the same thing I'm using or something like that, where the idea is go to them and just let them tell me what I'm doing wrong, and then let me do interviews and follow up. And this ranges the gambit between, you know, disassociative identity or just flying in a fighter jet, right? Experiences I haven't had. The ones that I know pretty well, I'll go to the family member or to people I know and be like, all right, give me some help on this. But I guess that's the end goal. Where I start is it whenever I can primary accounts. So when I'm using, you know, working on DID, I will go to blogs to people who have firsthand, what you don't want to generally read is other people's fictionalized accounts go to primary sources. Because other people's fictionalized accounts might be perpetuating things that are commonly used in media but not actually accurate. And those take on a life of their own and end up in media, you know, being photocopied by different authors until they barely resemble the actual lived experience. And that's one of the big dangers in doing this, is perpetuating these things that can make people's lives harder by doing that. So first-hand accounts, whatever you can grab for those, start there.
1: Yeah, the the big thing for me is Walking the very fine line between, I don't want to sensationalize, I don't want to demonize, and I also don't want to kind of wash it out. As much as I love the movie One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it is largely responsible for our nation's very poor response to mental health today, because the basic premise of that movie was, it's just a lifestyle, you can't tell me how to think, which is also inaccurate. And so I've also written a lot about mental health and it's a kind of a big hobby horse and a big cause that both of us believe really strongly in. So it's difficult to write about, but just always trying to portray the real lived experience of what that's like, surrounded by a sensational story without sensationalizing the illness itself. And that's the trick. Good job. Thanks for the question.
0: So for those not benefiting from the video feed, we also have a pirate version of me to go with the pirate version of Dan. My eye patch is much more uh, roughly drawn, I should say. (laughs) Barely covers my eye, so there's
1: that. The ones of me are really just kind of turning into aspirational fashion photography. (laughs) Uh, Here's me with an earring and some horns. Here's me with a bowler hat and a monocle. Which is actually most of
0: my Halloween costume this year. So there we go. I've got like an Elizabethan little uh, neck thing on this one. I guess it's not Elizabethan, is it it's a, a ruffle. Yeah, a ruffle. So nice. it's a, yeah.
1: Okay. So this is kind of a two part question. You've taken a lot of people from real life and moved them and put them into your book inside characters and stuff like that. Really in- inspiring. First part of the question is how do you take that character from real life and adapt them to the novel. And the second, since I am kind of a nerd, uh, I think probably we all are. Um, <laughs> he just called you all nerds. I did. <laughs> um, have you ever taken a DD d
0: or tabletop RPG character and put them in one of your novels? Oh, Ooh. two-part question. Taking people from real life and taking RPG characters.
1: Yeah, so since so much of what I write is horror... <laughs> Uh, I love putting people I know into the books, uh, but I don't usually try to mimic their personality in any way. Definitely aspects of Ben have shown up in some of the side characters.
2: My name is also Ben. But, you know, ben.
1: they all lived.
2: That's not true at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who, who, who died that was you?
2: Now I don't want to say. Oh. The gross guy from... Uh... The gross guy? No. Um,
1: Can you imagine know. being Ben and saying, what? You didn't tell them about me being that gross guy.
2: <laughs> I, I don't bring it up that often, honestly. So, you killed me on multiple books, I thought, though. Oh, I probably have. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. I've killed
0: you several times. For me, there's like gradations here, right? Mm. One is the cameo for a friend, and I usually don't use very much of them. Like when Dan shows up in Mistborn, it's just a guy named after Dan. Actually,
1: Sergeant Wellen. Yes. He keeps living through,
0: like, brutal catastrophes and spree murders, and that's my whole thing. Yep. In fact, Sergeant Welland's descendant shows up in Lost Metal. So, and this is just a fun thing to be like, hey, it's my friend for them to smile at. There is kind of a middle ground where there are a few people that I put into Bridge 4 that were that, but then over time I had to fill out their characters, and a few of them I've gone and used their actual personalities with their permission and kind of like, uh, Scar from Bridge Four is a good example of this. Ethan Skarstedt, my friend who's in the military, he's kind of my military consultant on making sure I get these things right. I just use his actual experience and let him rewrite some of the lines and things like that. That's very rare. I do that on occasion. But there's this other thing where I, I know someone who has an aspect of their life that is really interesting and I'm going to use that. And in that case, I explicitly try to divorce the conflict from the person because I'm using part of their lived experience as an inspiration, but it's not them. It's the fact that, hey, you struggle with depression. Tell me what that's like. I want to build some characters around that. In that case, I try to make the character as different from them as possible while still using their experience, if that makes sense. Dan, RPG characters. RPG characters. I don't
1: think that I've ever used an RPG character in a book, except for occasional references to Pardole, which you <laughs> will not understand
0: unless you've listened to a lot of our other episodes. Yes. I will say that it went the other way for me, because I started my very first book in high school, which was also called Dragonsteel. Never finished it. Hoyd was in that, made the jump to my D&D campaign that I was running with my brother as my NPC character who was there to make fun of them. And it was actually a Spelljammer campaign. And so he was in there making fun of Giordo and his friends in high school, then made the jump back to the books later yeah. on.
1: Which is so fitting, because that's his primary function in yeah. the Cosmere books mm. as well, is to show up and make fun of the characters.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Uh Uh-huh. So we have a B-money picture with a very strikingly drawn black lotus around his neck. You Um, have to read the the caption on that one. B-money's in the house. Flaxen. Flaxen. Flaxen? With my My lotus. Lotus. Nice. It clearly says flaxen. Yo, I'm 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 all about the flaxen. That is the
1: hippest Ben has ever been. Yeah. (laughs)
0: was writing that thing.
1: Okay, one more question.
2: So, Brandon, this is my burning question. (laughs) Okay. Acknowledgements of one of your books. I'm sorry, this is so stupid, but I need to know. Uh You said that one of your children likes to have their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with the peanut butter and jelly on the outside. And I have been kept up at night thinking about the mechanics (laughs) of a peanut jelly sandwich.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, <laughs> so this would be my middle child, Dallin. He's not going to remember yeah. this because he's way too young. But he also this is it gets even grosser. He liked <laughs> he liked the mayo on the outside. Of his ham sandwiches. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. So, Dallin is very tactile, right? He is ADHD, and he has certain sort of really interesting tactile things, and has since he was very little. And he still, he is 12 now. He will go, if we don't force him to use utensils, he will eat his food with his hands. He likes to feel it. He will eat rice. We'll put rice with butter on it. And he's just like, nap, nap, nap. and so uh, it's
2: just a very messy occasion.
0: It's a very overall. messy occasion. And he wants to feel things between his fingers, but we started letting him make his own sandwiches and we would look over and like the ham sandwich. I went, I, it's like, it goes bread, mayo, ham, mayo, cheese, mayo, bread, mayo. <laughs> <laughs> and then he grabbed it and he was eating it. And we're like, Oh, Okay, kid. Um, All right, do your thing. So, yeah. Thank you. Mm hmm Thank you for asking the real questions. Yeah.
1: All right, let's get another one. Brandon, I've heard you give a lot of advice on finding inspiration in various other cultures and things like that. I was wondering if you could give advice on how to keep that from turning into cultural appropriation. I've never heard you accused of oh, that. Oh, man. I don't think it's...
0: Oh, uh, man. So this is a, the... a big question that is difficult to answer in a nuanced way in this sort of q and I'll do my best, but let's just say this is very difficult to address. So I believe strongly, and there are people who can disagree with me who can be, have perfectly valid opinions. I believe strongly in the idea of cultural exchange as being the appropriate way of melding cultures, right? And so appropriation is something different. And the distinction there is very fine and very difficult. And unfortunately, and this is the part that makes it really difficult to talk about is your skill as a writer determines which path you go down, which is like horribly unfair, right? But the thing about it is, Boy, I could go on this for a long time. I'm going to give you a kind of a metaphor. There's this famous court case that I find very interesting about satire, right? And what the judge determined is that whether the thing is actually funny can't actually be the deciding factor if it's satire or not, right? Because the skill of the author shouldn't determine whether or not it's infringing or not. But the problem with cultural appropriation is the skill of the author is inseparable from whether it's doing harm or whether it's part of cultural exchange, if that makes sense. And so I say there's a couple of rules of thumb. Number one, look at the culture that you are using and determine how consistently has that culture been harmed by misappropriation the past. And the smaller the group of individuals you're dealing with and the more that they deal like, like certain Native American tribes and nations have been historically very heavily oppressed, lots of things taken from them and things like this. That's a much more difficult place to go than Han China, which were one of the dominant cultures in the region. And that's another aspect of it, right? Like when I'm going to look at the Alephi, and one of my big inspirations is the Mongol Empire. The Mongol Empire were, you know, we've got lots of sources to draw upon, and they were a dominant culture in their time, and we've got primary sources and secret history and other things like that that we can read. It's a much less dangerous road to go down, if that makes sense. I would say also be specific rather than generalized. A lot of times when you're doing harm with one of these things, it's because you're like, they're just Asian, right? And you're amalgamating a bunch of different cultures rather than saying, look, this is specifically the era right after Genghis Khan and right during Genghis Khan, during the Mongol Empire and their conquest of China. And I'm taking these specific inspirations and I'm using them intentionally and deliberately. I feel like that at least doesn't (laughs) get you into the problem of amalgamating a bunch of different cultures into one generic kind of thing. But again, this is one of these things that I think authors need to be sensitive to and aware of, reading, again, primary sources, talking to people, and making your own decisions. I don't think there's a right answer, is the thing. And I think some things that I do will be offensive to people when I've tried very hard not to be, but that's up to them. And I'm not going to say they're wrong. Does that make sense? And just being okay with the idea that you have to do a lot of research, you have to think about this a lot, and no matter how much you do, you still are going to rest the risk of being damaging.
1: Very good answer. Mm. Thank you for that. How much
0: time do we have left? We have probably about 10 Sweet. to 15 minutes. We've okay. still got, you we have know, so at the end of no, 4.30, we so we're going don't.
2: Good. What time is uh, it? Uh-oh. We need to give these away. You want to give these away? Well, I, I want to show my appreciation for people who... Give back to the fandom. Oh, okay. Like, I I really enjoy people who make content for the fans. I think that's a really cool thing to do. And so I am going to try to invite some people up to take a couple of these and specifically to get a picture with the back of your heads, just like (laughs) the (laughs) thumbnail for intentionally blank. You two are not allowed to turn around. Keep answering questions. Okay.
0: Okay, so we have to keep answering questions back... We in. are going to completely... No, 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 ignore. Face, We face
1: them. And we're we're going to take pictures. People the are, are going to come up, heads. and their one chance to meet Brandon,
0: he's, like, obligated to ignore yes. them. Yes, yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> this <laughs> what is is good way to be great. Give back. Ben, how are you going to determine who gets to come up here?
2: <laughs> we're going to start with... Anybody who's making YouTube content, I think there might hopefully be a certain disheveled goblin host in the audience who really deserves yeah. some keepsakes. You could also find out
0: who came the furthest for this convention. Is Ooh, that a good, a good one? That's a I idea, too. So, let's see. Who thinks they came the furthest? Raise your hand. We're talking, we, can't, know, see we can't see your hand. We can't see but Octavia... So if someone's raising their hand, can you grab the microphone from the thing here? These people have oh, been no. waiting in line all this time. Yes, we will, we will get back to pre-empting some of them. All right, their so things. run over to someone. If you think you came the furthest, Run. we're going to have Octavia run over to you, and we're going to have, yeah.
2: Uh, from Japan? Japan?
0: <laughs> Did you say Japan? Did you say Japan? Japan. Wow, okay, Japan. Anyone beat Japan? Okay, Japan, what there do we, we got? have an Australia over here. Oh, Australia, Australia will be a little further than Japan from us right now. Yeah, Australia, okay. What else do we got? Anybody from anyone India? Anyone Yeah, oh. Oh, what do we got over here? London? What's London? London, anyone further in Europe than London from where we are right now? So, further east. Further east. Oh, and oh. way back there. Hungary. 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 Oh. So, Ben, do you want to just call up all of these people who answered this? I think, this? yeah. Okay. If you got to come, answer come into get, the, the f- uh, thing right here, let's call them up and so then we'll four. take this next question. The, the four people that yeah.
1: said Japan, yeah. Australia, sure. London, Hungary. Yep. Come on, Come up on up. Daniel. We'll Green ignore also. you and Ben will give you a
2: stupid thing. And you guys answer the questions. We're going to take pictures of the back of their heads. Okay, so, question here. This microphone is taller than me. Um,
1: that is not a question.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Um,
1: Unless you, it is a question, in which case, yes.
2: <laughs> do you, as a writer, do you have any advice towards? Um, I sometimes struggle with having a new idea and getting excited and starting to write and then getting distracted by another new shiny idea? Do you have any advice on staying focused? Yes.
1: So I have what I call the ideas folder or an ideas file. And if I get a really cool idea, I write it down or usually type it out. And then I put it into that folder and I tell it, don't worry, I still love you. I'm going to come back and write you later. I won't, but that's what I tell them. Because then they and I both feel good about it.
0: I do something very similar. And it really is one of the challenges, the biggest challenges of writing, is not letting yourself squirrel. Because the thing about it is, writing, for some of us, for me, writing that opening is really exciting. Then the story gets hard. It gets hard every time in the middle. And the ending is the other shiny thing that's exciting to me, and getting to that is hard. And I always am thinking, oh, this other idea. It's going to be so much better. And training yourself not to do that is one of the most important things you can do, particularly you and I seem to share some proclivities here in our writing. Trust me on this. Train yourself in this one. Now, if you're consistently finding your story too boring, one of the things that you can do is you can make sure you're using... (laughs) laughing at I'm oblivious to everything taking place behind me you can uh you can use multiple ideas in one book remember that having this collection of these ideas and mashing a bunch of them together is how I come up with a bunch of my books okay. cool thank you very much
2: for the question yeah. all right next one thank you guys so much for being here it's awesome to talk to you so I have a question that might be a little difficult is there a question that you've ever wanted one of us to ask or a question that you've ever wanted to ask the audience?
1: Uh Yes, no one has ever asked me my favorite episode of Dairy Girls.
2: <laughs> what is it? What is your favorite, quest- your favorite episode of Dairy Girls?
1: It is so hard to choose. <laughs> 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 but episode by episode, I think I do have to lean on the third season episode that's all about the moms when they were in high school. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone, watch *Dairy Girls*; it's my favorite TV show. Mm-hmm. All right, ask another question. Uh, yeah. What, what? do you think is?
2: What do you think is behind the doors of stone? Oh. Uh, it's just, oh, it's just I, been so long. I thought you might have some ideas. Ah.
0: Uh, I. Oh. Uh, oh. What's behind the doors of stone? Oh. Uh. Oh, man. You know, I've, when I've been reading that series, I've been thinking more about how the king killing is going to happen than what's right, behind right. the doors of stone. Like, that's been my focus. Because, you, you could answer that question, too. That's fine. Yeah. My idea is that this is going to be... A tragedy right it's very obviously set up to be a tragedy and so who is the king and i think it's being set up and i don't know how much pat wants to twist on us right i think that that annoying guy that always you know is in college with Quoth is going to end up as king and Quoth is going to kill him but that's like an easy answer a lot of people think that but we haven't seen pat end a series yet so i don't know how much he's going to try to surprise us and how much he's going to go with you know the expected response because sometimes the expected response is really satisfying so that's where I've been. It's like, how much is he going to surprise? How much is he going to twist? Like, the really weird one would be that Quoth ends up as king, fakes his death, and he's the king killer of himself, right? Um, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. Dan? I don't have a guess on
1: this. Um, I'm going to say that behind the doors of stone, there's a door of wood. <laughs> and behind the door of wood, there's a door made out of fish. And behind the door of fish, there's another door of stone. (laughs) And then that picture. Yeah, and then there's just that picture of me. All
0: right.
1: (laughs) Thank you for your question.
2: (laughs) Okay, hit us. Brandon, you've spoken at length about how you had to change your signature to save your wrist. Dan, now that you will be writing in the Cosmere and will be potentially needing to sign 50,000 books, what is your plan to save your wrists? Uh, My plan is that I'm going to
1: hire Ben to be my full-time autographer. Good plan. He's going to wear one of those little, like, hurdy-gurdy monkey hats. It's going to be awesome. Mm. And then his clothing, you remember the the little lad who loves berries and cream? That's Ben while he signs all my autographs.
0: And I'm going to pay him enough that he'll actually do it. Cool. Ben, we got 10 minutes left. Do you want me to call some other people Can up here? we get
2: up anybody who was on the Cosmere Talk panel? Okay, Cosmere yeah. Talk panel. Yeah, That'd Cosmere be good. Panel, please come up and get a souvenir.
0: Yeah. Okay, nice. Mm. Is there anyone in here who has already read Lost Metal and posted a Goodreads review of it? <laughs> It doesn't have to be a good review. Yeah, no, you can, you can trash it. It's totally fine. If, they, if, if, fact, are, if you've read The Lost Metal and you trashed it on Goodreads, please come talk to me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a couple of them go up already. Because, you know, sometimes the books are sent out to people or sometimes they just appear at bookstores early. If you're one of those, raise your hand and, and Octavia will send you up here. Is anyone's birthday today? Me! It's me! Oh, you! You! I can't look around, so whoever you are, is anyone else's birthday and you would like to come on stage? You don't have to say yes. If your birthday is today, raise your hand and maybe Octavia will grab you and send you up. (laughs) Also, if anyone is
1: mortifyingly afraid of being on stage, please come on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question. Mm -hmm. So, for a few books now, you've been serializing the beginning portions with a couple chapters at a time. I was wondering how much thought you had on the break points for each week because it generates a lot of discussion. I'd also be curious uh, what your thoughts are on the discussion it generates I being licked in a serialized right format. Now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so I let the team determine where the breaks are. And so for me, it's where the chapter breaks are. And chapter breaks are one of these arts, not sciences, where it's a combination of have I concluded the scene, is this a dramatic place to break, is this a good place for a breather, do I want to cut to another character, all of those things combine into this really difficult to explain mix that it's more of a, this feels right, than this is how exactly I do it. And so I let then the team decide how they are going to go about splitting this apart. Thank you. They gave us some really good cliffhangers out some weeks. Thank you very much. Okay,
1: next question.
2: So this is for Brandon. I know you have a lot of themes in all of your books about relationships with gods or how you interact with religion, but also leadership. A lot of things about leadership, Dalinar, Kaladin, different styles. Where do you draw your inspiration for good leadership and who do you think is your greatest leader amongst all of your books in the Cosmere?
0: Oh, man. This seems like a particularly difficult one to answer while people might be posing behind me.
2: Maybe.
0: (laughs) Uh, uh, So where do I draw my inspiration for leadership? It's from a lot of places. Military histories and biographies are part of it. Being asked to lead very consistently, you know, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have a lay ministry. There, you know, are very few people who are paid. And you just kind of are asked, hey, will you take over this group and having to do that? reading a lot on it and talking to military people a lot and being like all right what made a good leader what was the best like i'll ask i've asked scar before what's the best officer you've had and why? Who's the best sergeant you've had and why? And I ask that to a lot of military people who come through. And then it mixes in with my just personal philosophy on what makes a leader strong. Like I've watched people lead. I've been in companies, not as many as, you know, most people, but, you know, I worked at the hotel. I'm like, how do I feel being led and things like that? And these all mix together and I do my best. Who is the best leader? I think it is Probably. You're going to think I'm going to say Dalinar, but I think it's Kaladin, right? I think, yeah. Um, Dalinar has fallen into some of the foibles of his class in the way that he approaches leadership that Kaladin forcibly had stripped away from him and had to build up from the ground up. And so I'd say that Kaladin's is a little bit better of a listener. So...
2: And finally, thank you for your relationship with your fans, keeping us up to date, all the information. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure.
0: (laughs) See, Ben has now given up. He's just writing, quote-unquote, something funny. (laughs) Yeah, okay. All right, so this is going to be last question. I'm sorry, but then you have a giant two-hour one with me, so... Also, I'm going to
1: end with self-blatant self-promotion. Self-blatant self-promotion? Self-blatant self-promotion. <laughs> Crass mercantilism. Go for it. Hey, the last question's a lot of pressure, but... Make it good or everyone's going to boo you.
0: I'll do my best. <laughs> so, I'm also from Nebraska, and I also spent time in Korea while I was in college. So,
1: because of that, I've always wondered, like... To what extent the places that authors, because as I've been reading more Cosmere, I wondered to what extent and like how the places you've lived have influenced both you as an
0: author and what you write, because like there's some things that will, like, remind me of something from one of those places, like sheltering from the high storms kind of reminds me of, like, springtime in Nebraska where you're, like, in the basement hiding from the tornadoes and everything. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that one, but that totally is an inspiration, right? Like, I grew up in hurricane country, right? Mm. And you could say that Rochard came out of two things. Southern Utah's rock formations and slot canyons and Nebraska's weather right? And you combine those two things and you suddenly get this feel of Rochard, the unpredictability of the weather and this thing where, you know, we did tornado drills and had to go sometimes during school and get under our desks or whatever and things like that or whatnot. And it definitely has had an influence on me. I would say the most striking influence were those visits to Southern Utah because I grew up in a place that was very green but very flat, and I came out here and the mountains, and the beauty of those slot canyons really stuck with me. Awesome. Alright, awesome. Thank you. Great question.
1: Okay, are you ready for blatant self-promotion? We, we don't have much time left, but here it is. Also, everyone that didn't get a chance to ask a question, you're our favorites. Yeah. We know your questions were brilliant and wonderful. Okay, so I do a lot of conferences and conventions and retreats and stuff, and I always take games to them, and then I never get to really play them because there's always something more important to do. So next year, in July, I rented a giant vacation house, and I'm just holding a retreat to play games with people. There's no programming. I'm not teaching anything. It's just, let's play d d for like five straight days. So if you are interested in a house full of gamers and food and nothing responsible to do for six solid days... Go to my website and look in the shop and you can buy tickets for it. at yeah, thedanwells.com.
2: And now you're paying for this. Is this the...
1: Oh, no, he's I, not, he's uh, not uh, paying for this. Mm. That would be awesome. It would be a much bigger house if he was paying for it.
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much. Thank you for your questions. How's that, Dragonsteel?